Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is The Emotionally Healthy Child. So someone sent me a message the other day about my book, The Soul Frequency. If you have not read it, go now on Amazon. It's the perfect time. Get the book or the audio version of the book. And if you have read it, um, go on there and leave us a review. Tell us the thoughts about the book. If the book has impacted your life or it's been valuable to you, or if you learned something new, it's the way that other people can find the book as well by you leaving some feedback and telling us like what you loved about it. So go ahead and do that. Um, the message I received was about a lot about emotion and about some of the stuff I talk about in the book around emotion and how we are generally very uncomfortable with our emotion and how disconnected we are from our emotions. And this person went on in the letter to talk about what that has costed her in her life. And this person had gathered a lot from the book around her emotional health as it relates to manifesting the business that she's in the process of creating, um, how it relates to money, relationships. I mean, really every single area of her life. And so today, my guest has dedicated her life to giving us tools and strategies around emotional health, especially through the lens of our children. How we can, in this complex world, raise emotionally healthy children. I asked her all kinds of things in this interview. I asked her about the differences in being a kid today versus decades ago when I was a child. Um, and well, I don't want to give too much away. I'll just tell you, it was awesome. I had lots of questions and you're going to get to take it all in for yourself right now. So my guest today is Maureen Healy. She's an award-winning author, speaker, and leader in the field of children's emotional health. Her new book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, gives adults the ideas and strategies they need to help their children um, be emotionally healthy. Maureen also writes a popular blog for Psychology Today, which has reached millions worldwide. In 2014, Maureen's first book, Growing Happy Kids, won the Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards. With 15 plus years of experience, Maureen has guided thousands of parents and their children. She's worked with educators globally, taught in the classroom, and given keynote talks throughout North America, Europe, and Asia. She's also appeared across all media outlets, such as Seattle's New Day Northwest Morning Show, AOL's The Fatherhood Project with Hank Azria, Forbes.com, and Scholastic Magazine as examples. So with no further ado, Maureen Healy. Maureen, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is a topic that I am so excited to have specifically with you, with all of your knowledge and experience with this, and to really dive into 
children. I have, I have a son who's seven. So I have a lot of vantage points from both my childhood, as well as raising, you know, a boy in this time. It's Mm -hmm. 2020 now, right? Mm -hmm. And we're living in just an interesting um, world and an exciting world and a fascinating world. And before we get into kind of your body of work, I know you share a little bit in your book, which is really beautiful about your process of growing up and being a child and what caused you to be so interested in children and emotional um, health of children. So maybe you can take us back to like, why is this your passion? I'm like, oh, do I have to go to all the way back to 1972? But um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see. When I was younger, I I always had that question in my heart and mind, like, how can I be happier? And I think it was particularly because there was a lot of contrast in my life. There was, you know, strong lines of depression, strong lines of alcoholism. There was always, I was in one of those families that there was always a problem. And I was like, why is there always a problem? So I just, you know, I was sort of a search in my heart and mind to see like, you know, how do you create well-being and in which way do I turn? So that sort of led me in that direction. Yeah, that's awesome. And you shared about being a sensitive child in your book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about a little bit of that experience, how that showed up for you? It's so, it's, it's like asking a fish, like, how's the water? I just, (laughs) I'm just a highly sensitive person as a child and a highly sensitive person as an adult. So I don't really know life any differently. Although if you met me, you may not know because I mean, I have an MBA. I've worked in, with CEOs. I can be tough, but I can be soft. But so like I, I, I have, it showed up for me as a child, just wanting to be an artist, wanting to be a creative, just wanting to, just feeling things more deeply and reacting more quickly. Hence, eventually the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, I had big emotions and I really was searching, what do I do with them? Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, certainly I feel like children are so, they feel their world. Like they are, they're not yet intellectualizing everything. And so it's that sense of what it's like. I remember as a child, like the feeling in my home at different ages. And even if, you know, sometimes there's, you know, things going on in the home and nobody's necessarily telling kids, right? It's going Mm -hmm. on or your parents are in an argument, but you can like feel that in the air. Mm -hmm. And it's confusing sometimes because maybe you don't really understand what's going on, but you can feel, you know, the home when it feels happy or the home when it feels, you know, kind of like you could, you know, hear a pin drop. So how does that like in your research and looking at that, um, how does that affect us as we start to evolve and become teenagers and adults and things mm-hmm. of that nature? So you bring up a very, very good point. We all, be- we all begin life feeling our way through. So as a little baby, you're like, oh, I want my diaper changed. Wah! I'm hungry. Wah! You know what I mean? You, you know your emotions and you let them out. I mean, and like you said, when you're five, six, seven, you continue. You know there was an argument in your house. You may not know what it's about, but it feels really rough in here and uh, I'm going to go into my room. You don't, you don't necessarily um, intellectually know what's happening, but instinctually you're like, oh, it doesn't feel right. So as we evolve and develop, we need to not only have our right brain, but our left brain online or our front part of the brain and the back part of the brain. So we need to become more integrated. So we need to have both um, feeling and thinking uh, uh, 
uh, instincts and um, intellect, both both the ability to, you know, feel deeply, but but you know, logically look at something like, oh, you know, if I hit the kid in the playground, I might get into detention. You know, we, we need to learn how to become more integrated to have a successful life. And we all know adults who we think, oh, they're all feeling or they're all thinking like Dr. Spock. But the most successful people have learned how to be both. Yeah, definitely. There's a quote in your book. I don't know who it was by, um, but it says something along the lines. This is not word for word. It says, when a child is upset, logic won't work until we have responded to the right brain's emotional needs. That's right. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. So that's why when I'm working with a child or when I'm working with parents or teachers, we have, we have to really keep ourselves accountable for how we connect or disconnect from our children. And that means when they're having a meltdown or feeling big emotions, we need to continue to be connected. That doesn't mean we're feeling okay. That doesn't mean we're not feeling frustrated, but we can love them and say, hey, that's not appropriate. Do you know what I mean? Versus go to your room, you're a bad kid. You know what I mean? So there's a different way of coaching where it's more partnership and that we need to sort of connect and acknowledge what a child's feeling and redirect them and help them express it. So, yeah. That's great. We did something when uh, my son's name is Jameson. And when he was young, we gave him words for his emotions, like Mm -hmm. early on. And we would give words to our emotions. Like, so we started, we found that it kept him from having meltdowns Mm -hmm. when he could express himself. And he's was verbal, like, he speaks really well for his age and always has. Um, But we kind of started connecting, I think, that emotional and also logical side, like, okay, I'm feeling this and being able to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- it's it's that name it to tame it. And, and you're correct that, you know, logic can come online, typically it's around four years old, but it can come around online much earlier, especially if you have good role models. So it's like when I'm in traffic, because I live in California, um, you know, I name my anger, Monster Mo, you know what I mean? But, and, and just by saying, oh, that's Monster Mo. I mean, I behave myself in the car, but it doesn't mean I don't get frustrated, you know, or annoyed sometimes. So it's the experience of naming it, whether you're a big person or a little person that helps you pause for a moment and say, oh, I'm not my emotion. I'm feeling anger. And then you can click into how do I express it? Yeah. And you talk about the, I think the three steps or something for the tools of emotional help. And you talk about stop, calm, make a better choice. Can you elaborate on those? Sure. Well, the idea of stopping, I mean, we all know it's a process, right? So as soon as you have some self-awareness and which you, we can, there's lots of tools in my book, the emotionally healthy child, how to help a child and yourself develop self-awareness in a fun, playful, yet, you know, effective way. Um, because when you, when you can slow down and stop, you can learn how to calm and then you can learn how to make a better choice. For example, when you're really, really, really angry, oftentimes that's not the best place to make a smart choice. And when I say smart choice, I mean a choice that's good for you and good for others. So a child that is really angry in the classroom and throws a notebook across the classroom and hits another kid feels anger relief because he got his emotions out. Yet the other kid got hit. He doesn't feel good. There's sort of turmoil in the classroom. So it really wasn't a smart choice. So helping a child learn how to slow down, stop, calm, and make a smarter choice are three simple, yet not always easy steps, but they're possible for every 
um, healthy child. Yeah, definitely. And every healthy adult probably too. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking we probably all need to take that moment, that pause. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's one thing, another great point you're bringing up. Emotional health is a lifelong endeavor. It's not a box we check. It's something we continually do throughout our lives. As a child, we may be learning frustration, anger. And as an adult, we may be learning about shame and jealousy and enthusiasm and gratitude. So yes, a hundred percent. And you also talk about mindset. You have an equation like mindset and habits equals emotional health. What I'm just curious from your perspective, because you're obviously around so many children and I'm constantly thinking to myself, like, it's hard to have perspective because I was a child so long ago and, um, and then having a child now, and I'm constantly going, was it like this when I was young? Like what has shifted and changed? And since this is something you have researched, do you see changes in, let's say, I grew up in the seventies, eighties, like you know, kids back then or life back then versus kids now? Um, I, I think children and emotions are not different. Some of our environment and circumstances are different. For example, the, you know, I was involved with the Highlights magazine and they did uh, about our child a survey. And the number one stress in children from their survey was the fear of school shooting. So two decades ago, the number one fear was your parents dying. So like there's environmental things that have shifted, of course, social media and bullying via, via you know, email or text or online. So things have changed on the outside that have created more stress and anxiety in our children. And that's why something like this book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, or these ideas and strategies is so important. Definitely. So let's talk about some of the mindsets that you talk about in the book. So be more specific. I'm on it. <laughs> so, like, just ideas like, what is it for somebody that's maybe a parent or a grandparent who's listening, or a teacher, right, or somebody who's around kids? Like, what are the ways that we as adults can instill like a mindset within ourselves, but also within our children around healthy emotions and healthy expression of emotions, and how to manage our emotions so that it's positive in our life? That's a good question. So lots of things come up for me here. I believe it's the second chapter where I talk about the seven idea of how emotions work. And then we talk in the book about, well, how do you express them? So oftentimes we don't know how emotions work as adults or children. For example, the idea that, you know, anger is going to come and go. You know, when you're angry and you feel like that anger cloud is above you, you don't feel like you're, you don't even remember what it's like not to be angry. So helping children remember that anger comes and goes, also that there are no bad emotions. You know, the emotions are all useful. They're all sending us signs to what's happening inside. It's what we do with them that matters. So let's go back to the anger for a second. So the ch- when I work with a child and say, hey, it sounds like you were really angry when so-and-so happened. He'd be like, yes. I go, do you feel like that anger was bigger than you or were you bigger than the anger? They're like, oh, the anger was much bigger than me. So that's another clue that they don't understand how emotions work because you're always bigger than the emotion. You're always in charge. You're, you know, you can tell that anger to leave and say, I'm the boss, applesauce. You know, you can come up with something playful, but the idea is you really need to learn how do emotions work and then what to do with them. So there's also a lot of information in the book, um, and we can delve into this, but the idea is that 
you know, an emotionally health, unhealthy child. And I'm not saying we all sort out. We, it's just a skill to learn. It's not like you're emotionally healthy and you got great genes from your parents, although that can help. That's certainly not required. It's a skill to learn. And unhealthy is more like reactive, rigid, careless, ignores feelings, disconnected, crushed easily, insecure. And then on the path to becoming emotionally healthier, you know, the, the emotionally healthy child or the one who's in process of becoming healthier and who's learning how to be healthy is responsive, careful, flexible, not rigid, mindful, shares feelings, says, mom, I'm feeling sad, dad, I feel angry, whatever, resilient, connected, secure. So it's not about, you don't have to have a verbal child, just someone who knows how emotions work and who's, who's willing to learn and how to express them constructively versus destructively. And in like when you, do you work one-on-one still with kids? Yes, I work one-on-one and in groups and uh, in person and over like, you know, Zoom and such. Amazing. So when you're working with a child, like what are they expressing to you? Like if you were to, let's say, survey the kids that you've worked with, like over a period of time, what is the most challenging thing for them? Is there something that rises to the surface as the most challenging for kids today in regards to their emotions? I tend to work with a lot of highly sensitive creative children because they have deeper emotions and, and, and they tend to go off the rails more easily, to be honest with you, and a lot of anxiety and stress. And I would say, you know, life circumstances, whether it's, for example, I have one child I'm working with who his parents are getting divorced, but the father, you know, he's afraid of his father. Uh, his father has a restraining, the parents, mom has restraining order against the father. And they're a very wealthy family. It's not like they don't have money, but they got problems. You know what I mean? So, and then there's other kids that, you know, they were bullied in the playground and there's someone else who just can't sleep. You know, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's learning how to handle the discomfort of emotions. I think, you know, I love America. I'm so blessed and grateful to be born here, but, and live here. But this is a very comfort culture. We like to be comfortable. And some emotions, challenging emotions, are uncomfortable. And learning how to be uncomfortable and get your go through it versus around it is how we learn how to handle these challenging emotions and sort of become learn the skill of positive emotional health. Definitely. 100%. I agree with all of that. And do you feel like, or do you see correlations between like, I don't know if you talk to the parents as well, but do you see correlations between like the, if the parents are uncomfortable with their emotional self, does that translate into environment? You know, obviously like if I'm uncomfortable with my emotions as a parent, then I'm gonna have a hard time teaching my child about emotions. Does that correlate? I, I will say that oftentimes I will meet a child without the parent. And then when I meet them with the parent, I go, oh, I got it. You know, because there is that connection. You know, sometimes the acorn doesn't fall from the far from the tree. Sometimes it does. You know what I mean? But I, my, I guess my biggest suggestion or my biggest thing I can say to parents and adults and teachers is that don't think of us as teaching our children. Think of learning together. You know, you know, you might be learning as a parent patience, forgiveness, tolerance, right? You know, another parent or teacher may say something to you and you may want to hit them in the face, but you don't. You take a deep breath and walk away. You know what I mean? So... I feel like our, our children are great teachers and I feel like that we have the opportunity to help teach them. And then together we're better. Together we're learning more. 
Oh, I love that perspective. It's so great. What in, when you talk about habits, what are like, what is a specific thing? If someone's listening to this and they're going like, yes, I have a child in my life who's struggling, you know, to express themselves emotionally in a healthy way. What are some practical things that someone could do? Okay, I'm going to give two, two, two ideas. And there's lots more in the book, obviously, the emotionally healthy child. But one thing I like, if a child tends to see their world as half empty, you know, it's everything's negative. I didn't do this right. Everything went wrong today at school. How did and you ask them on the car ride home? How did things go? Things are fine. Leave me alone. Everything's fine. You know what I mean? So and that's okay. Kids often find it intrusive when we ask them, how did school go again? They're like, Oh, goodness, leave me alone, mom. But but um, we want them to develop a positive and constru- constructive mindset. And the exercise they call it the three good things. Scientific research has proven about three weeks of doing this actually trains your mind to look at things more constructively, look for things that are going right. So every night before bed or whenever works for you in your family and household, um, you know, you say, what were the three good things from the day? Like, what were three good things? And, you know, some days the child can say, oh, my God, I had pizza. I got to play kickball. I played the floor is lava. You know, it can be really easy. Other days, it's like, uh, you know, you're like, okay, you got up. Okay, one, two, uh, uh, I fed you a nice breakfast. Okay, two, three, you petted the dog, you know. So it's, you know, by consistently doing a practice as simple as that, it only takes a few minutes. If that, your child is learning how to keep looking. Your, the mind starts to eventually, throughout the day, you go, oh, that's one of my good things. Oh, that's one of my good things. So I really like that. I love that. That's a great practice. Thank you. And the second one I'll give is the smart choices checklist. We kind of touched on it before the idea that a smart choice, it's good for you and good for others. So for the example of that child that threw the notebook across the classroom and it hit the other kid, you know, I sat down with this person and said, okay, what could we have, if you could have done that differently, what could you have done? So we sort of prepaved the path that, you know, we identified, oh, I could have taken a deep breath or I could have gone to the bathroom and thrown water on my face obviously his school allows that but you know I could have uh raised my hand and talked to the teacher you know I could have journaled in my notebook even though it was English class I could have written something down like I'm really angry and gotten it out of my system so beginning to help a child recognize that you know I have the ability to stop and do it differently is really powerful when a child recognizes that they have a choice that's when things change. So whether it's home or school, I love the smart choices checklist. Maybe you have three children at home and one of your kids keeps punching the other kid. You say, hey, let's, let's think about other ways you can express these emotions. You can jump on the trampoline in the backyard. You can rake the leaves. You can walk the dog, whatever it may be. So helping identify things to express challenging emotions or even you know, helpful emotions like enthusiasm. You can be too enthusiastic and hit the vase in the dining room and it spills on the ground and breaks. So it's whatever emotions. I love that. Those are two very awesome tools. I'm going to use the first one with my son and start to do that. You know, it's funny. I just, I don't know the science behind it, but um, he's seven. And I just have now noticed that, you know, there's so many amazing things in his, I mean, he has a great life, right? And mm-hmm. he, but he will pick out the one thing that went wrong in the day. 
Like mm-hmm. he'll be like, right. Cause the brain focuses on the negative to keep us safe mm-hmm. and all of these things. And I'm like, but what about this? And what about this? And he's like, oh yeah, those are all good. But he wants to talk about the one thing that went wrong. And I was like, we, you know, we should talk as much about the things that went right as we do, you know, about the thing that went wrong and then how we want to change that or make it better or shift that for ourselves. Um, so I think that's an amazing practice. Both of them are, but I will use that one. Um, and it'll be fun to see what happens over the next several weeks with that. And do it with yourself too, because sometimes, um, you know, before I'm going to bed or whenever time in your day, I think, oh my gosh, I haven't done my good things. And sometimes I'm, you know, I'm really milking it. I'm trying to stretch, you know, what are the good things today? And other days I'm like, oh my God, this is such a great day. Boop, 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 boop. It's a really fun tool as a, with your child or as an adult. Yeah. yeah. We'll do it together. I love that. I think that's so positive and feels so inspiring. Um, I wanted to know too, like what, what does this like for you personally, maybe, or um, even in, in the adults that you're around, like, what has this done for your perspective on your own childhood? Like, do you think back based on your research today or um, the amount of time that you get to spend with children and reflect back at all on your experience? I have such a greater appreciation for my parents than I ever have had before. And, and, and may they rest in peace. Um, but you know, I wasn't an easy kid all the time. I mean, I lived in a different time. I just had big emotions, you know, when I, and I grew up in the seventies and the eighties. And when I was frustrated, you know, we lived in a different time. Clearly I would just, you know, pack my belongings and go to the playground or I'd climb a tree, you know, I mean, I would just learn, I was learning how to self-regulate in my own way, but you know, I just have greater appreciation for uh, any parents who are also dealing with adolescents or teenagers because of just the, and middle school, just because regardless if you have the quote unquote perfect or best child, I mean, it's just an emotional up and down experience to go through. So I find, I find not only our own emotional health so important, our ability to develop patience and, and, and really coach them along, but I'm in love with the idea of having what I call a third voice. So parents are one voice, a child is a second voice, and then like a coach or a mentor is a third voice. So I never had a coach or a mentor when I was in middle school or high school, but like an emotional coach. And I would have loved it. That These were like all like the types of, the things that I do with children are some of the things that I would, would have loved to have known. So I appreciate being that role. Did I answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's so great to have that outside perspective. I think both as parent and child, especially I think during the teenage years, when I reflect back on that time, it's like, what's real? You know, I'm feeling this as the teenager, you know, my parents are doing this or saying this, or they're feeling that. And mm-hmm. to have kind of an intermediary mm-hmm. to that, you know, dynamic or conversation to just be like the touch point, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, as a teenager, you are aware enough that you're moving into adulthood, but like you can't tell your parents what to do, or you certainly can't point out where they might be being unfair, you know, and really for most people have them hear that, mm-hmm. honor that, you know, right. so um, to have somebody just kind of saying like, yeah, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you can advocate for both sides. Right. Um, and bring the healthiest thing to the surface. I think that's extremely valuable. I mean, who doesn't need a third coach or whatever through life in general, right? Like, All right. 
<laughs> we live in we live in a, a a wild time, and I think the growth that can happen in that experience um, can be just great for everybody involved. Right, and I would also add that you know we have to remember that your your brain is not fully developed to around twenty six. So you know you know, and the last thing to come online is judgment. And then after that, you know, one of the great discoveries of the last, you know, of the last, you know, 30 years has been that not only does your brain after it's fully developed at 26, it can always change and it can always, it's, it's very dynamic. So we can always learn new things. But the idea that, you know, if you have a 22 or 23 year old and you're frustrated, the reality is their brain is not fully developed. <laughs> and that, that can inspire us to have more compassion for them. Yeah. And you're like, why did you make this decision? <laughs> like, what mm-hmm. were you thinking? It's like, oh, my brain doesn't have full judgment capacity yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> oh, totally. It's a good thing to know. Because mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes, you know, once kids to be kids or teenagers, you you do as a parent start saying like, what were you thinking? Like, mm-hmm. why, you know, why would you do this? Or why would you do that? Because they certainly seem developed enough to make really smart decisions. Mm-hmm. But understanding that brain development so important and 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 yes and also as a teenager their brains are hardwired to want to take risks so to appreciate that that's what they want to do obviously we're there to keep them safe and help them make smart choices so it's very interesting yeah it is it's very interesting so tell us where we can find out more about you anybody that is interested in learning more getting the book learning more about your coaching and mentoring um, the, the easiest place to find me is my website. It's the name of my first book called growinghappykids.com. Well, the book was called Growing Happy Kids, but the book, but the website is growinghappykids.com. Awesome. And we are going to ask you the four questions now that we ask all of our guests um, based on a process called the anatomy of transformation. It's just a time to share anything that might, lessons you might be learning in your life or things that are rising to the surface for you or that you're studying um, at this time. So the first pillar in the process is truth. And I believe that we uncover different truths as we walk through life, like the things that really impact us and go, wow, like I never knew this before. And those truths are catalysts. They have us see life in different ways. They have us make different choices in our life. So what is a big truth that you've come across either in life or in your work that just kind of really opened your eyes? Uh, It's a good question. Uh, I mean, I know you know these are all good questions, but it's such a good question. I would say earlier in my life, when I recognized the fact, and I I was taught this, so it wasn't like something that just popped into my mind, but when I recognized that concept that we have to take 100% 100 responsibility for all of our actions, for what we say, what we think, what we do, and that is pure power, that that gives us pure power, that when you take 100% responsibility for your life, you don't blame anyone or anything or any circumstance, that you're able to create, you, that you gain power and the ability to create what you want to see in your life. Yeah, oh, that's great. And what is the second step is release. So when you learned that at that time in your life, like what did you release? Like ways of being or the ways you thought of yourself or limiting beliefs? I mean, what was it for you that you said, okay, now that I know this, like this has to go? 
Well, I can't blame, you know, the girl to the right or the girl to the left or my parents for dying early. I can't blame anyone. Like we're all giving a set of cards. We're all, you know, dealt a set of cards, a deck of hand, a hand of cards. And we just have to play the cards the best to our ability. You know, I can't be, you know, an Asian monk right now. Like I, I, I am who I am. And I was given this opportunity to be who I am. And it's up to me. There's nobody else can do it for me. It's so beautiful. And the third step is experience. Literally, when we embrace something as powerful as like, I can't blame the world around me or the people around me, like what changed in your experience of life? Like what started to shift either in your professional career or in your personal life when you took that 100% responsibility? I think that things just show up giving you the, I think the more you show the universe that you're responsible and you're capable, it's almost as if like an unseen hand of God or some divine thing that I don't know how it works, but something happens where the universe is like, oh, you're very responsible. We'll give you more. It's like why Oprah has billions. You know what I mean? That she showed the universe. She's an honest person. She's capable. She's going to do the right thing when no one's looking. You know what I mean? Like when you become a better human being, the universe, whatever we want to call it, start saying, oh, there's a better human being. Look at them. Let's give them a little more. They can, they'll take responsibility for their actions. Mm, I love that. It's so good. And the fourth step is a line, which is what keeps us in this state where the universe keeps sending us more. So whether that's, you know, practices or whether it's habits or rituals, or what is the thing for you that just keeps you in a good place and keeps you in your emotional self and emotionally healthy? Well, yeah. And if I think back to the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, I have a, some ideas about centering. So if I stay in the center and I do the right things for the right reasons, um, things work out. And that doesn't mean they're always easy. That doesn't mean, you know, I've, I've been expert witness in custody trials that were sticky and ugly and messy. And I feared for my life because there was really dangerous people involved. But I, I knew that if I did the right things for the right reasons, and I was intelligent and capable and made smart choices, that, I, that things were going to continue to flow to me and that I didn't have to have fear, that I didn't have to be concerned for like, where is my going to good come from next? Or, you know, just made the right, right choices for the right reasons. I love that. These are all really powerful. I just want to thank you for sharing this work. I think I have such a passion for the kids today and just obviously raising one of my own, just being in the environment um, of kids. And I think this is such valuable work that, like you said, will continue to grow and expand in their lives for years to come. And when you think about any one person, right, that, that feels emotionally healthy, that's going to impact every life that they are around, every relationship that they have. And so to share that with as many people as possible is just, it's amazing. I'm so grateful to be here with you. So thank you so much for having me. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.